This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Anyway, so today Sean and I are um, briefly going to uh, wrap up the This Is Us series. And I know... Um, some of you have told me, this has, has just said that this has been a, a great series for, for this time that we're living in today um, because, again, the, the question is, you know, who am I in the midst of this? Who am I as a Christian in, in the body of Christ today? What, what about our differences? What about our diversity? What, what about this? What about all the division and the divisiveness that we see? And, and, and so I know a, a number of you have reached out and said, thank you. You know, this, is, this has really been an encouragement in the midst of us because, again, the body of Christ is such a melting pot. We are from such different backgrounds and such different extremes, but yet God's called us one and we're to walk together. And so, um, so we wanna, we were, we're going to wrap that up here uh, over the next few minutes, and and so we started it three weeks ago. Uh, this is us, and we called number one. We called necessary us, and we talked about how we sh- our lives should be transformed for the good because of the relationships in our lives. We should our lives should stay on track and be held accountable because of the relationships in our lives, and our lives should be stronger because of the relationships in our lives. We talked about how God created us from day one with the need for relationships in our lives, and. The- Weeks ago, we began to talk about the fact that relationships can be difficult, and, and part of that difficulty is our differences, and, and, and we were talking about, the, um, about diversity in the midst of it all, that, that diversity, our differences, are, they, they were a God idea. They were a very good God idea, that he, he delights and he takes pleasure in our differences, in the way that he made us, and that we talked about how, di- how diversity is often, it's often a, a human struggle. It's something that from the very beginning, our differences have caused all kinds of issues in the human human struggle, and, but we also determined that that was much because of our own pride and, and our own selfishness. And then lastly, we talked about how our, our diversity makes us so much stronger than we ever could have been otherwise. There's people that you can reach for Christ that I never could, and there's people I can reach for Christ that you can't necessarily. And so our differences are a great thing and a God idea. And then last week, we kind of finished off, we, we talked about, um, uh, it was called, we subtitled it, Messy Us. And talked about how God knew from day one that relationships would be messy. He created Adam for relationship. And we see right from the get-go by chapter 3, it's a mess. God knew relationships would be messy even though he said they were necessary. And it's what he created us for. We talked about how the mess is worth it. And we talked about how we have to deal with the messy in the midst of everything. Relationships can be messy, but they are necessary and they are very much worth the mess that we will encounter along the way. You want to breathe? I'll breathe for a second. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to slow down a little bit. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> That's all right. Okay, so today's title is actually, This Is Us, Beautiful Unity. So just think about that for a moment. Beautiful unity. Um, so what is the ultimate goal in our relationships? Just think about that for a moment. What is the ultimate goal in our relationships? Let me take you to, you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app as usual. All the notes are on there. Go to the Bible app, go to events. You'll find all the notes on there. Sorry. Right. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. And I encourage you, if you actually have your Bible with you this morning, get it and open it out. Because throughout today's message, we're going to go back to this passage numerous times. It's our key scripture for today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Here goes. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with another in love, with one another in love. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And I just want to take a moment to pray. Is that all right? Yeah. All right. Lord, I just thank you so much for this word, Father. God, I thank you for this series that you have placed on Rob and I's heart. And Lord, I pray that as we wrap it up today, that you speak to every single person exactly what they need to hear. Father, as we dive into this scripture and we break it down and we talk about the importance of unity and the importance of unity as believers. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you speak to every single one of us exactly what we need. If it's a good job, you'll give us a good job. If it's a, we need to tweak this a little bit, then Lord, we'll choose to tweak it. But God, our goal as believers is to put you first and to serve you and that you will be magnified in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I've got a story for you guys. Um, how many of you have ever been to a four- or five-year-old soccer game? Has anybody ever been there or participated in one? Um, I remember a couple of our kids did soccer. I played I think soccer. all of them did at some point. Could be, yeah. I, I played soccer as a kid. And, you know, um, and actually some of you may not know this, but actually one of my first jobs as a teenager was I actually refereed soccer. And so I refereed the little four- and five-year-olds. And any of you that have ever been a part of soccer, there's this term that we would call beehive ball. Anybody know what that is? So basically wherever the ball is, every single person... All the little kids are right around that. Like, they don't even know what a position is, right? So wherever the ball is, they're just following around. And so I want you to picture with me for a moment. You're sitting on the sideline. Let's say you have a kid, a grandkid, a niece, a nephew, a neighbor, whatever, and they're on the field. And, um, you know, here's the beehive ball going on. And, and then, you know, there's always that one kid, right, that, I don't know, they're picking at flowers or looking up, oh, plane, or they're picking their nose or whatever, right? I mean, you may have even, you may even be that person, right? But there's always that one. And so beehive ball, all of a sudden the ball breaks loose from the group. The ball comes up to them and they're like, ball. And the goal happens to be like right in front of them. And so they kick the ball and it goes into the goal. And they're like, yes, they're, the kids all look like, whoa, the ball went in the goal. They walk to the sideline to you, waiting, and what do you do? You give them that thumbs up, right? You give them that thumbs up, good job. And then maybe you look to the person next to you, and you're like, they just put that in the wrong goal. <laughs> I think that was Lauren that did that. Did, little... did you do it? We couldn't remember <laughs> if that ever happened for real. Um, guys, we as believers have got to make sure that we're aiming at the correct goal. A lot of times we're kind of out there, we're falling around the crowd, all of a sudden something comes to us and then we're like, woohoo! But are we aiming towards the right goal? And so we need to make sure that as believers that we are pursuing the right goal in our relationships, in our family, in our church, and as a follower of Jesus. It's so important that we are intentional about where we're going and what we're doing. Um, Abraham Cooper, um, he's a theologian, and he made this statement. He said, unity is the ultimate goal of all the ways of God. Now, remember I told you that we're going to be talking out of Ephesians 4 quite a bit this morning. So I want you to go to verse 3 with me again. And right here it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so Rob and I are going to be breaking this down a little bit today, but... Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but Benjamin Franklin said two things are certain. Does anybody know what he said those two things are? One, he said death. 
And the second one was taxes. Tax. All right. Um, now, I want to add a couple of things to that. Uh, one thing is that um, during Memphis of May, it's going to rain, right? And then um, if you are breathing, you're going to have conflict. We can't escape it. There are going to be things that we are faced with that are going to come to us. And so um, our goal is to be heading in the same direction together in our relationships. And this is what we're calling is unity, unity coming together with one purpose to fulfill. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 right here in the New Living Translation. It says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own, which is to fill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. And that's unity. Yep. That's what that is. But I, I want to look at one more passage real quick. Um, if you go to the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, it says, Don't forget you Gentiles used to be outsiders. How many of us here are Gentiles? Most likely everybody watching is a Gentile. Okay, It's anybody that's not Jewish. Um, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made with them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, talking to the Gentiles, you have been unified with Christ Jesus. I'm sorry, united. United with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. What is that called? One new people from two groups. It's unity, guys. It's all about unity. And so, again, if we look back, again, like Shauna said, our, our key passage for today is from, is from Ephesians chapter 4. Again, if we look back at verse 3 again there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he tells us to make every effort to maintain the unity. Well, what, what, is, what does that mean? He's saying, firstly, think about this. What does it mean to make every effort? Well, to me, that would mean this is something that we are to put effort into and we are to strive toward and, and we're to make a priority in the midst of everything. So we're, we're, to, we're to strive toward this. We're to make it a priority. We're to make every effort to maintain the unity. You notice here something that we found interesting was that Paul doesn't say to create the unity. He doesn't say to create the relationships. And he's, he's talking about really in the body of Christ here. He's talking about Jew and Gentile, which they, they could not have been more different. And, but really understand this. Once you become a Christian, once you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you automatically are in relationship with other Christians. Now, doesn't mean you talk to them. Doesn't mean that you like them. Doesn't mean that you hang out with them. You probably have family like that in your life. They're family. You're related. There's some sort of relationship, even if it's just maybe by blood or by marriage. But 
You don't necessarily hang out together. You may not even necessarily like each other, but there is still some semblance of relationship there. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you, the Bible says that you are adopted into the family of God. We'll talk about adoption more here in a few minutes, but you are adopted into the family of God. So there is relationship there. So he tells us that there's, there's already relationship. Now he says, come into that and maintain unity in the midst of it all. He says, you are to be united to one another because of Christ, regardless of your background, regardless of who you were before you came into the family, regardless of what you did, regardless of what you look like, regardless of where you came from, you are now in relationship with the family of God, and you are now to come into unity with each other because of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles. Some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into how many? One body, by how many? One spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So back to that, make every effort or to maintain unity. Um, Okay, so I want you to picture for a moment that I don't know, I own half of the world, and don't you love how we can pretend here? And so I am going to gift you, let's just say, the world's largest yacht in existence, all right? So Barbara's right here, look, I am gifting you the world's largest yacht. Now, some of you right now are probably Googling, okay, world's largest yacht. What does that look like? I'm not sure, but here's what I know. It's probably numerous stories. You could probably live on it. Probably has water slides. Um, It's like probably bigger than some of our homes, all right? So I've given that to Barbara. Here you go. I've given her this free gift. Now, all of us are probably thinking something different. You know, we're given this awesome gift, but how many of you know it takes would take a whole lot to maintain that big old yacht. Some of you own boats or have in the past, and and you know that it requires a lot of maintenance, money, time, effort, and energy to maintain that gift. And so, guys, we have come together unified in Christ, but just like it takes all that work to maintain a physical yacht, it takes a lot of work to maintain that unity. As she was talking about that, I was thinking about, uh, how many of you remember the show um, Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Used to love that show. What was that guy's name? Uh, Ty. Ty. Ty what? Pennington? Pennington. Yeah, something like that. And y'all remember that. They they would come in, they'd find somebody who was was needy, somebody who was making an impact in their community but didn't have much and their home was all run down and leaking and moldy and whatever else. And they would take one week and they would would tear it down, right? Demo day. And they'd take the sledgehammers, they'd tear it down. And they'd spend a week and they would rebuild it and they would like quadruple the the square footage and they would, they would, and then they'd have that big bus, right? And they would all yell, move that bus. And they'd pull the bus out of the way and here to be his house. They'd all be in tears. And, and it was wonderful. But do you know how many people lost those homes afterwards? I, I, think it was, I don't know if it was Shauna's brother or if it was your dad that drove us by one of the houses and goes, yeah, this is one of the houses from, uh, the, from Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Those people lost that house. Why? Because they couldn't maintain it. They didn't, they didn't even have the means to maintain 
that house. And Extreme Makeover started, if you notice in their later seasons, they started uh, paying years toward their mortgages and things as an additional gift, they would say at the end, because these, these or, or toward their bills and, and different things like that, because these people could not afford, they could not maintain what they were given. It was a great gift they were given. Guys, we have been, been given a great gift, the gift of relationship. But we've been given the means to maintain those relationships. We've been given the means to maintain the unity. God would not tell us to maintain, to strive toward maintaining the unity if it weren't possible. It's a great gift given to us. But we've got to work hard because as we've established the last couple weeks, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. So Rob just said my next point right here. So the unity of spirit requires hard work maintenance and upkeep. Guys, that's, that's what relationships requires. Once again, let's go back right here to Ephesians 4.3. Um, the last part of that, it also tells us to keep the bond of peace. So that's peace with God, that's peace with one another. And here's what Jesus actually said in John chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. And so, you know, once we choose to walk in unity, it is possible to maintain it on our end, okay? We can't, the reciprocate, that's up to them, but on our side, we can maintain it. And so how do we know that? That's what we're going to kind of jump into next. Well, if we go back, again, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, our key key scripture for today. And and if we look at verses 4 through 6, again, it says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when we were called, when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Do you see the word one over and over and over? And it's talking about us. There's one body. Somebody say, that's me. That's me. There's one. So we know that this is possible. So what we're going to do, we're going to take the next few minutes and we're going to break down this passage from Ephesians chapter 4. And, and we're going to look at all these things that it says that we are. All these things that should help us to maintain uh, the unity, especially as believers. And, and there's, we pulled seven things out of this. Seven truths that can help unite us as, as family and as church and, and as the body of Christ. What is it that unites us? So, so out of the seven things that we pulled from this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, the first thing we see that unites us, number one, is it says in verse 4, we are of one body. We're not talking about Church of the Harvest. Church of the Harvest is not that one body, guys. The one body is the body of Christ, the universal church, as it, not the universalist church, the universal church. The, everybody who has received Jesus, regardless of the denomination or not, or whatever it may be, we are of one body. Pastor David Jeremiah, some of you may listen to his radio show on Bot Network sometimes. Pastor David Jeremiah said, the body of Christ is made up of every single person who has ever accepted Christ at any time in history. Every true Christian is part of that same body. There is only one. The thousands of different Christian denominations are not thousands of bodies of Christ. We ought to live as if we are members of the same family because we are. We are part of the same family. And so as I was talking about adoption again a little while ago, some of you may have adopted a child. You may have been adopted yourself when you were a child. And, you know, it's really cool the way adoption works because we're adopted into the family of God. Adoption is a beautiful, wonderful thing. And we know that in adoption, 
that, that you become part of that family that adopts you and brings you in and that receives you and accepts you into their family. They even change your birth certificate. They even change your, your, the, the father and mother. They, they change it to your new family. They change your last name. They scratch out the old one. They put down the new family's last name. And that's what's really cool about this. We are part of one body. That's why it doesn't matter who you were in the past. You're a part of a new family. Your past, the past is past. Your old name, your old sin nature, it's been crossed out in the midst of it all. You're a part of the one body of Christ. That's how you can know that if you have received Jesus, you are really a Christian. There's people that give their life to Jesus every week. Every, every week, raise their hand. Yes, I need to receive Jesus. Guys, you only have to do it once. You can be assured your adoption was valid. If you repented of your sins and you received Jesus as Lord of your life, you've been adopted. You now have the title Christian, Christ follower attached to your life. You weren't born into the family, but you were adopted into the family and you were accepted into the family and you are 100% a Christian. All right, the second one here is one spirit that unites us. Guys, this isn't, a, <laughs> this isn't an Asian Holy Spirit. This isn't an African Holy Spirit. This isn't an American Holy Spirit. We are all unified by the same Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything. Um, no, we're not. You know, we may disagree on some things, um, and we may even have different convictions, but we are of the same family. We are of the same spirit. And the next one, number three right here, is um, that unites us is one mission. Can you say one mission? One mission. One mission. You know, um, when we look at Ephesians um, chapters 1 through 3, it really talks about this message of hope. It says that we can have hope. And, you know, what is that hope? What is that promise? And um, I believe that the, the hope is, is that God, through Jesus, offers peace to the Jew, to the Gentile, to every tribe, nation, and tongue. So the hope is the salvation of being in him, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I heard it said this way, in 10 words, the hope of the gospel. So those of you that are note takers, you might want this. Hope of the gospel in 10 words. God creates, sin breaks, Jesus saves, Jesus transforms, and God restores. I kind of thought that, you know, like every believer should have like a motto or a one-liner that they can just remind them, what is my life about? Why do I do this? And so that's God creates, sin breaks, Jesus saves, Jesus transforms, and God restores. And so our mission as a unified body of Christ is to bring this hope to the world. It is the entire reason that we are left on this earth and not taken to up to heaven when we receive Jesus. You know, when we receive Jesus, we're still left on this earth, right? Because we have purpose to share that hope of him with the unbeliever. Yep. So one Lord. So um, I'm sorry, number four is the thing that unites us is verse five says we have one Lord. Uh, if you look in the book of Ephesians, uh, Jesus is Lord, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, is mentioned 20 times in the book of Ephesians. And, you know, this is one point that, that separated Christians really from much of the rest of the world. We know that the ancient uh, Romans and the ancient Greeks, they, they worshiped 12 major gods. And they worshiped many other minor gods outside of those 12. We know that the Hindus, Hindus have up to 33 million gods. Aren't you glad that we only have to worship one, one God, one God, one Lord? 
And we, that's one thing that should unite us. We stand on the truth that there is one God, there is one Lord. John 14, verse 6, Jesus tells them, y'all know this, I am the way. That's singular, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, somebody say no one. No one can come to the Father except through me. So that's another thing that brings us together and unites us is that we all in common, we have one Lord. It's non-negotiable. The fact that there is only one God, one Lord, should be a uniting truth for us all. So number five here is the one source of truth. There is one source of truth that unites us. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, it says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, guys, we know obviously that within the body of Christ, we all have a little different view. We have different perspectives. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard Rob say, you know, as a non-denominational church, we kind of have like a melting pot of beliefs and thoughts and understandings of the Word of God. You know, sometimes he's like, I just wish we could be a denomination and all agree that it is okay to dance or that it's not okay to dance, right? Um, and so, you know, we kind of have this melting pot um, of, of ideas within a non-denominational church. Um, but here's what we also know. You know, when we look back at Paul's life and we look at his ministry, and we know that there were at least maybe two types of Christianity practiced. You're kind of like, What? So let me give you those two. So the first one we know is that like in Jerusalem, in Judea, it was a very Jewish Christianity that was practiced. Um, you know, they observed both the Mosaic law and they also the teachings of Jesus. And there's many um, Jewish Christians today that still observe both of those. Um, but then we also know um, that there was maybe the Gentile Christian um, that lived in the cities or um, outside of Israel that necessarily didn't observe the Mosaic Law. They didn't have the kosher kitchens. They didn't circumcise um, their, their boys on the eighth day. Um, they didn't worship on the Sabbath in the synagogues. Some of that was because they weren't allowed in there any longer. They'd been kicked out. Um, they'd been kicked out. Yeah. Um, but rather, they met on Sundays in their homes or outdoors to worship. And so um, here you have two sets of believers but their practices looked a little bit different. And so we've got to ask, you know, what united both the Jewish and the Gentile believers? And, you know, I really believe that Paul expresses this in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. And here's what he says. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so that is the truth, the foundation that we as all believers must stand on. Um, and guys, you know that, you know, since the first century church, um, as the church has sprouted up all over the world, um, there's different expressions of that. You know, Irish Christianity may look a little different than East African Christianity, um, but the core is the same, and um, that, that they have that basic faith in common. So next one, uh, number six out of the seven, in verse five, another thing that unites us, it says we are of one baptism. Now, when we think of baptism, generally most Christians think of water baptism. And, and let me tell you, that can certainly be a point of contention in, uh, in, the, in the universal church when it comes to baptism. Some people believe in sprinkling. Some people believe in dunking. Some believe in face up. Some believe in face down. Uh, you know, whatever it may be. And then there's different views on what age is okay, you know, for, for somebody to be baptized. We have, we have all these different things. And, and so we, we may differ on our idea of what way is the right way. But we all agree that baptism is an important tenet of the faith. 
but you may also remember that um, that last year I actually taught when I when I did the ghost series story ghost stories series on the Holy Spirit, I told you that, that in reality there were other baptisms besides water. And we talked about how really when we talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there was a baptism in the Father, a baptism in the Son, and a baptism in the Holy Spirit. We would call it salvation, being, and that would be baptism into the family. You had baptism in water, and you had baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is talking about baptism in the Father. This is talking about baptism into the family of God, into the body of Christ. This is talking about salvation. We all have that in common. We all come the same way. It's the same baptism into the family of God. So in other words, regardless of whether you are Baptist or you are Pentecostal or whether you are Presbyterian or Methodist or Catholic or whatever it may be or non-denominational or none of them, as long as you have repented of your sinful life and you have received Jesus as a sacrifice uh, for your sin and chosen to follow him with your life, you are part of the family and you are part of that one baptism. And that's something that, another thing that unites us as believers. The last thing I want to mention real quick in verse 6, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6, it's another thing, the last thing it says unites us is one heavenly father. Verse 6 says, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And we're really not going to spend much time on this because it's really this is the same as the one Lord, you know, that we, we talked about a minute ago. It's very similar. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But we can unite around the fact that we have one good, good Father. And that He is everywhere at the same time. That He never leaves you or forsakes you. That He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He answers to no one. He is understanding, he is compassionate, he is loving, and he is kind, and that he loves you so much that he sent his only son to take the judgment you deserved so that you could come back into relationship, sometimes a messy relationship, with him. One God, one Father, and that certainly is another uniting factor. So we just looked at these seven things that, as a believer, should help unite us, should help us maintain that unity. Um, and so the question next is like, well, how do I do this? Because, I mean, has anybody had that debate or conversation with somebody with something different? <laughs> right? And sometimes it can become contentious or sometimes it can be a place where you really learn. You know, so, so how do we work through this? You know, obviously we know that it takes work. We know that it takes effort. Um, and we know that we are only responsible for us. You can't be concerned with anybody else and how much effort they do or don't put into it. Um, we can only take care of ourselves. And so we're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. And this is something I think we have said this verse almost every single week, mm -hmm. the past several weeks. And it says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And so as we look at this verse, there's actually four things that we can take away. The first thing it says, it says completely, to completely be humble. To completely humble. Be completely humble. To be completely humble. And so I think one way that we can do that is actually to have an honest view of ourselves. And so, you know, for some of us, um, sometimes maybe we think too highly of ourselves, um, and that's not a really honest view. Um, but other times, you know, we may have a poor view of ourselves, or maybe we look down on other people. And so, you know, we really got to evaluate ourselves. Um, is it Romans 12, 16 right here, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. 
And then in Philippians 2, 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Guys, value others above yourself. It's not about you. Place value. Even, even if you can prove you're right, sometimes it's better to value them than you having to prove that you're right yep. and validate yourself. You know, we've got to make sure as Christians that we include and embrace those that are different from us. Yeah. Period. <laughs> that look different, that act different, guys. And especially for those that are unbelievers, um, accept them where they're at and love them, hoping that through us, that they'll see something different. I love this quote right here by C.S. Lewis. It says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Once again, it is not about you. It's about putting others before yourself. So from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing one another in love. So Shauna just mentioned we're supposed to be completely humble. Um, secondly, I want to mention real quick, he says to be completely gentle. So we've got to learn to be gracious and be polite. How many of you would agree that the world needs more gracious, polite people, more gracious, polite attitudes? Would this be a great today? example to say why you're driving? Sure. Yeah, okay, good. When I'm driving? Just in general, when you're driving, make sure you're gentle and polite. <laughs> I'm not an aggressive driver. Never. <laughs> it tells us uh, uh, to be patient. I'm sorry, that's, that's number three. Be gracious and be polite. So really what we're doing here is we're following the example of Jesus. And, and you know, are, are we that kind of person that, that uh, you know, we're, we're, we're prideful and, and we have to come across um, tough and proud and, and we find ourselves wanting to, to have the last word or fight or argue over our position, you know, on an issue or whatever it may be. We've got to remember that when we're about to say something, uh, we've got to stop and ask ourselves, is it gracious? Is it kind? Is it polite? Uh, many times we come across mean and arrogant, and it may not even be initially the thought that's in your head, but the attitude behind it is prideful. And so our, so our words come out arrogant and, 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 and rough and mean, and we've got to begin to consider the feelings of others in what we say. Remember last week we talked about you know, being careful of what we say, holding our tongue more and saying what, I forgot how we worded it last week, saying only what needed to be said. Not, I, I don't remember how we worded it in one of our points last week. But some things are not necessary. But we're, we live in a society where everybody wants to just say immediately what's on their mind. Guys, I, I know better than to speak immediately what's on my mind because I know the stuff that goes through my mind sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to turn, jerk somebody up by the ear and say, you stupid, what's wrong with you? And, you know, can't do that. We, we can't do it. We're, we're, that's not a godly witness. They're probably not going to hear what we've got to say in the midst of it all. So we've got to be gracious and we've got to be polite because that's what the Bible says. It said to be completely gentle. This will help to unify us. So if we find ourselves in that position where we come across mean or proud or selfish or arrogant, I invite you to, as, as Shauna said, to stop and have an honest view of yourself and stop it. <laughs> Just stop. And, and repent <laughs> and change your attitude toward others. If you're that one that always has to have the last word or argue or j just let me invite you to stop. If you're that one that's quick to physically get in a fight or verbally get in a fight, 
I invite you to stop. Because that is not being gentle. It is not what Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about here. All right, and then the third thing we take away from this right here um, is being patient. And guys, I think, and maybe it's just for me, but this is a hard one, to be patient. Guys, we have to, especially as believers, we have got to give others room to grow. We have got to give them time to mature in their faith. We've got to give them time to learn the word. We've got to give them time to grow up. We've got to, we've got to give them time, you know. And so I'm going to ask, you know, maybe who have you just written off? Like, Psh, I am done with them. Aren't you glad that the Lord never said that about you? Mm. <laughs> and we're supposed to have the Father's heart, right? And we're supposed to be like him. And so, you know, who have you just written off? I just invite you to begin to pray for them. And if you've ever done that, you know you've got to get your heart right before you can pray for somebody that you have awe or offense or anger towards. And so then it really becomes about that issue of your heart and that it's not about you once again. Um, let me ask you this. You know, do you, do you hold people hostage to their past? You have a great memory of everything that they've done wrong and every mistake that they've ever made, but a poor memory of maybe some of the good that they've done. You know, especially when we've been hurt or wounded, it's easy to just automatically go to that place of hurt and wound and not see the good in individuals. And guys, yes, there are mean people out there, but we're talking about in general, you know, people that are good-hearted, good intentions, they just need to grow up in their faith a little bit, which is all of us at some time. Or even just had a bad lapse <laughs> in judgment. We've all been there, and we came across rude or arrogant or whatever it may be, abrasive to somebody. We've got to be quick to repent, and we've got to be quick to give people, be gracious for people and give them I room know, to grow in the midst of that. That's something at our house, uh, I don't know, Lauren would agree with me, that she and I are guilty of sometimes. Like, something will just come out of our mouths, and, like, it comes out, and then we hear it, and then it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for that to come out harsh, <laughs> you know, but at least own it, you know, if like ugly comes out and that's not, I remember recently, well, a few months back, you know, I responded to a situation with somebody and I remember Rob looking at me and going, Shauna, that's not who you are. It was just like, oh, you're so right. And, you know, he could have come down and like give me the little preacher, you know, and the word says, but instead he spoke to the potential of who he knows I am instead of the behavior that came out of me. And so, guys, we have got to give other people time to grow. We've got to give them room to grow. Um, right here, giving people room to change and grow requires the mature understanding that we are all going to make mistakes from time to time, but that we are more, <laughs> that we are more than the mistakes that we make. Yep. We are more than the mistakes we make. And those people that you need to be patient with and give room are more than those mistakes and those actions that they're making. And really the last thing there we talked about, completely humble, being completely gentle, being patient. The last thing I said there was bearing with one another in love. And really that's, that kind of meshes into the same thing we just said. I don't really want to spend time on that. But, but let, me, let me just ask you do, you, do you love your spouse more than being right? Do you love your coworker, your friend? Do you love them more than being right? right in the midst of it all. 
We have got to bear with one another in love. We've got to give them the room to grow in the midst of whatever situation they've been walking through. As Shauna said, everybody's in a different place, and we've got to give people the room to grow in the, in the midst of, of everything. Life is, life is tough sometimes, and it, ha- it is on us all. And, um, you know, I, I think that, um, that we, could, uh, we could definitely stand today to give each other a little bit more grace in the midst of things. So, so guys, that's uh, the conclusion of our series. This is us. And, and so what, what, have we, what have we established? Uh, just, I, I just made a few points real quick. God established. He created us with the need for relationships. He created us with a need. He created me for, with a need for you and you with a need for me. You are not meant to be a loner or to go it alone. That's and right. so if you believe that lie or you've taken on that label, you need to reject it and take on what the Word of God says, that he created you for relationship with human beings. And with that said, we should pursue good, godly, healthy relationships in our life. We need them desperately. These relationships should draw out the good in us if they're the right relationships. They should help bring accountability and they should help strengthen us in the midst of it all. And we know that God made us all different, but he delights in our differences and he takes pleasure in them. The diversity of the body of Christ makes it so much stronger and so much more able to accomplish God's purposes in the earth than if we were all the same. We know that this issue, this diversity, is going to bring many difficulties in our lives. It's going to bring many difficulties in the midst of our relationships in this life. But God knew this from the onset, and he still created us with a need for him and a need for one another. These relationships can be messy, but they are necessary and worth the mess. We have to build our lives around the idea of building unity between ourselves and others. Guys, this is us. This is us, the body of Christ. What a beautiful body we are. We tend to see through that lower story perspective. We tend sometimes to only see the mess. Guys, we are a beautiful body. We are a beautiful bride of Christ. Let's all bow our heads together as we, as we conclude this morning. And let me just, as we always do, ask this first. If you are not a part of the body, If you have not repented of your sin and accepted Jesus as Lord of your life, as the sacrifice for your sin, as the one who would take the judgment you deserve, if you have not received him, then you haven't been adopted into the family yet. You haven't taken on God's name. You're not a part of that family. You aren't able to come into that unity. You find yourself as a loner in the world. The first thing you need is the relationship with God restored. And he made a way. He made it through Jesus. As I said earlier, he sent his only son so that that relationship could be restored. Jesus willingly lived a perfect life and willingly gave up his life for you. Let me tell you, the beating that he took, the crucifixion on the cross, that was nothing compared to him carrying your sin. It was nothing compared to him carrying your shame. It was nothing compared to him carrying the judgment that you and I deserved. So if that's you right now and you would say, you know what, I recognize that my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with God is not what it should be, then I just invite you right where you're at to say a simple prayer. And what you can put it in your own words, but just something like this. You're just going to say, Father God, I I recognize in this life that I, I, I am a mess. I recognize that I've tried to go it alone. 
I've recognized that I've been prideful and thought I knew it all. I thought I knew what was best. But I now recognize that I'm just a selfish mess lost in my sin. That I'm hopeless without you. And so just tell them, Jesus, I I, I repent of my sin. I turn from my sinful ways. And I choose to follow you in your ways. I believe that you laid down your life for me. And you took my judgment. You took everything I deserved, but I got everything you deserved. And so, Jesus, I call you Lord of my life. I choose that I'm going to follow you every day. I'm going to try to look like you and walk like you and talk like you. I'm going to love every person I come in contact with because that's what you did. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. And I tell you that I will follow you all the days of my life and I won't look back in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, the Bible says you are a new creation. That was that right there. You saying those words, that's you standing before the judge in a courtroom. That's the judge signing the papers. You're part of the family. You've been given a new name. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your old has passed away. Doesn't mean you don't have to deal with some consequences and things that have happened in your life. But now you've got Father God walking with you. And he encourages you all the way. And he says, you've got this. He also encourages you to find some good, healthy, godly relationships in your life. Guys, you may have been a Christian your entire life, and you may have, through this series, gone, you know what, there's some relationships I, I, I need to walk away from. doesn't mean you're giving up on the person. Please don't get that from what we've been teaching. doesn't mean we're giving up on the person, but sometimes you know that somebody is toxic toward you and toward your walk and, and, and does not strengthen you and build you up. And sometimes you have got to bring a place of separation so that you can begin to grow into who God's called you to be because they, they will influence you. But you need to pursue good, godly, healthy relationships in your life. And as we said today, and then you work to maintain that unity. Just because things get tough between you and another Christian doesn't mean you bail ship. It's not the right to abandon. It's not the right. You don't divorce that relationship because things got a little tough. God fought for you. So fight for those in your life that God has brought to you who, Shauna, as Shauna said, are good-hearted people. Yes, make mistakes. Yeah, may have done you wrong. Fight for it. Fight for it. That's what God wants you to do. That's who, he, that's who he was to you. We need to do the same for others. As we conclude, we'll sing one more worship song as we close out here. And, and, uh, and I love this song because God is so faithful. But, guys, you may recognize an area in your life. I just, I just feel right now, you may recognize an area in your life right now that maybe isn't bringing unity. You may be the most kind-hearted person. You have the greatest intentions, but maybe you're looking right now and you're realizing that maybe on a certain topic or situation or whatever it may be, maybe the words that are coming out of your mouth, that's what we said last week, maybe your words aren't helpful. You're not doing it to hurt or to damage, but it's, it's just not being helpful in the midst of everything that's going on right now and what's going on in your life and other people's lives. Maybe you recognize an attitude in your heart that is just not helpful, is not bringing unity to the body of Christ, that, that, that one body that we talked about. And I just invite you right now as we sing this last song to, to just bring that thing before the Lord and, and say, God, I surrender this to you. I, I lay it down at your feet, that, that, that attitude, that, that pride, that whatever it may be, and I, I just... 
I just laid at your feet and I choose to turn from it and to, and to leave it there, not to pick it back up again and to walk forward in the love of Jesus. Amen. I just got one little last thing there. Something I just kept getting is, um, and this is for the body of Christ. This is to the church. Stop placing blame and take responsibility. Hmm. It's just something that I just, as you were talking, kept coming over and over. Stop placing blame and take responsibility. And so I encourage you as we go into this song, maybe ask the Lord, you know, what, what heart, what thought, what action am I doing where I'm pointing the finger this way instead of looking at our heart? And that's what we've just hit over and over again, guys. We can't, none of that matters. Your finger at yourself is the only thing that you can change. And that's the only thing that's gonna strengthen us as a body of Christ is that when we look at ourselves and we deal with the ugly, instead of placing the blame and putting it off on other people. That's good. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277.